I love services where we baptize people. I like hearing people's stories and their journey and different places we are and how folks have come to faith in Christ. Uh, you had me at baptism. That's just worth the whole day for me. I love Sundays. I love getting to be with you guys. And I love getting to worship. But not every day is like Sunday, right? And today may not be your favorite day. This may not be a great day for you. Let me ask you, what is your toughest day? What's the hardest day that you face? How many of you would say, for you, it's Monday? Yeah, I thought we'd get a lot on that. Tuesday? Tuesday, Wednesday? Hump day? Thursday? Thursday's like your hardest day. Oh, I dread Thursdays. Friday? I didn't think anybody, I would get anybody on Friday or Saturday. Anybody, Saturday is your hardest day? If you're in the restaurant business or something, or sun, don't say Sunday. I'm not even going to go there because I would take it personally and it would kind of hurt my feelings. Whatever day that is for you, it probably always comes a day too soon. You know, once you hammer it down and you think, ah, done, we got past that day, whether it's Monday or another day, and almost seemingly overnight it rolls back around uh, again. And some days... Maybe today, maybe today is a day for you that you would just like to step away and let someone else do this day for you. If you had a clone or if you had somebody, you know, a twin, you would just like to say, you know, I'm just going to pull the covers up a little more and I'm going to stay here, just go fight my battles. It's too much. And there's times we feel overwhelmed. And the, the, the message that I have today that I feel like God has for us is, is a message of good news. Because the Bible says, tells us that, that God is always in our corner. That he is there ready to fight our battles with us and even for us on our behalf. Now, this has been a whirlwind of a week uh, for me. Uh, we just got back from Haiti last Saturday night and uh, my heart is always wounded and uh, just filled with thoughts and you know, memories and prayer of, of some of the situations that you just sort of leave. We sort of dive into the midst of people's lives, and, and then it's like we're interrupted and pulled right back out, but their lives continue to go on. And I think about that, and we had worship. Uh, we had a memorial service for Cheryl Freeman this week, just a beautiful time together to commemorate uh, a sister whose life was well-lived. Uh, what a servant. And Friday night and last night, I was involved in a wedding. I performed a wedding. And the cool thing about this wedding, it's, first, it's a first thing for me, the very first time, I actually performed the wedding, the, the couple that I did last night, I performed the groom's parents' wedding 31 years ago. I was 12 years old. <laughs> I did my first wedding. It was my very, I had no idea what to do. I remember going to the Christian bookstore and buying a minister's manual and looking up, wedding, got it. And I just followed that thing. I just, okay, next, we're going to move over here and we're going to do a ring. You got a ring? You know, I just, I was, it, was, it was very um, basic and you know, by the book, uh, but it was just so cool, just so sweet this weekend to get to do the wedding of their children. 
all these years later. And I went back and found that book and used the exact same service. I'm just kind of sentimental, romantic that way. But um, in the midst of all of that, plus, you know, you got hospital visits of folks who are sick and counseling with people. I just, I'm around a variety of folks w- within my week. And one of the thoughts that, that, that hit me several times is how do people face the events of their lives, whether it's a funeral or a wedding or just another ordinary day? How do you face that without Jesus? And I did that. I did that for a long time. Kathy and I were talking about She was describing some people who, you know, she, she met, and she said, it seems like they just like to party a lot, and it's just like not just for the weekend, but it's like a lot. And, and then she looked at me, and she goes, oh, you were that guy. <laughs> you, how did that feel? You just began to interview me. You know, how did I, I feel pretty good? And, you know, I thought, but it was meaningless. And I told her, I said, that's actually what drew me to Christ was the redundancy of that and what was fun and what you look forward to and what you think this is kind of the whole purpose of it after a while. And if you're not there yet, you'll get there. After a while, you think, is this it? Is this my life? Really? And then the battles come. And you have no resources. You have nowhere to go. And you feel like you're on your own. Well, today is good news. Because God wants to fight battles with us. He wants to fight battles for us. My problem is that I'm not always sure exactly how that works. I know it does. And I believe it. And God's done that for me. But there's sometimes, especially when the battle comes to me. You know, when you're in the thick of things and it's raging all around you. What exactly do I do? You know the commercials with the button that say, I think it would say easy? Is that what it says on it, the red button? I'm not real good at remembering television commercials, but I think that's what it said. And you just push the button or the commercial where you, you call out your, you know, your insurance agents. And this has never happened for me like this. You know, where you just, and they just pop right there and they start, you know, estimating the damage to your car. I'm thinking, yeah, I want that guy, you know, and that's the whole purpose of the commercial, obviously. Wouldn't it be great if all of life was that easy? And every time you went into a struggle, every time the war was all around, that you just pushed the button or called out and boom, you've got the assistance there. It just doesn't seem to work like that. I'll be honest with you, it doesn't even seem to work like that in my relationship with the Lord. I mean, how do I make that connection between my everyday life and my battles and God's sovereignty and his help and his, his mercy and his grace, how do, I, how do I connect that? Well, let's talk about that. Because as far as I know, there's not a 1-800 number. <laughs> you know, I got, uh, let, me just, let me get God here. Yeah, I got him on speed dial. I went ahead and put him in my favorites. Uh, it's me again. Is there a website? Is there an app for that? You know, and just, I think there may be. Unless you carry a droid, they're just not, I don't know. Um, what I want to know is when my world is spinning out of control, how do I get in touch with you, Lord? How do I access that grace and that power? Well, I've learned something about how to prepare for tomorrow's battles today from the experiences of a guy in the Old Testament. Old King Jehoshaphat. 
out of all the biblical names that we use to name our children, I don't know of any in our preschool or down in kids stuff this morning named Jehoshaphat. I don't know. And if you, if you God bless you, if you want to name your next child that, I think that would be pretty cool. And call him Jeho or whatever, you know, uh, Joshi or Joshua. I don't know what you'd call him, but you'd figure out that. But his story has been amazing to me, and I've learned a lot about what God wants to do with me. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's just walk through this story together today. And you know what I'm going to do is let the Bible illustrate the Bible. and let, let, Just let this story flow. And I think it'll, it'll, it'll teach us some, some things about how to do this, how to live our lives. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Minyanites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea, that is already Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. There's this huge war that's coming to him. And I want you to be able to picture this because all of Judah's enemies are about to attack and there's nowhere to run. To the north, Aram, which is modern-day Syria. To the east, there are the uh, Ammonites and the Moabites. And to the south, the Edomites are coming. Jehoshaphat is surrounded. He's afraid. He has the sense to know, I'm in danger. My country is threatened. Uh, This could be annihilation. This could be the end of things. And he's scared about that. I want you to know that's an okay emotion. That's an honest emotion. Are you ever afraid? And what is it that you're afraid of? You've probably been there. Have you ever felt like that? And to make matters worse, the Edomites and the Moabites were supposed to be friends. They're like distant relatives. They're the descendants of Esau and Lot. So there's this connection there. It's like the very people who are about to to hurt us are the people who are supposed to be on our team. It's supposed to be folks that we're safe with. And isn't that the way life is sometimes? I mean, how often are you hurt by strangers? Or how often are you hurt by family or friends? That's the situation Jehoshaphat's in. They're attacking their cousins. Look at verse 3. It says, alarmed. And he's not just scared now, but this is escalated. He's terrified. He, he's He's ready to hit the button. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Let me ask you, it's kind of a, a, I guess you'd say there's a rhetorical question or a thoughtful question. What is it that you're scared of today? Really, and your fear is probably different from mine. Now, I know there's a whole list of things that we have in common that, you know, a lot of people are afraid of getting up in front of a group and speaking. I am. Some people are afraid of heights or bugs or sickness or death or flying or loneliness or dogs or women or, you know, uh, we're just all kind of things that we get scared of. But probably what's gripped you, probably um, what what will frighten you and just kind of wraps itself in in this, this dark way around our hearts and our minds, what keeps you up at night. What wakes you up, what makes you really anxious, is not going to be any of those things. It may be something that only you and the Lord know about. 
not even your roommates or your spouse, really understand that deep fear. Hey, God knows. God knows what it is, and he knows your heart, and he understands that fear. Jehoshaphat was like us. He didn't know what to do. You know, sometimes you read scriptures, and it's kind of like these men and women, they just have the answers. Well, here's the situation we're in, and so here's what we're going to do. And you just think, man, I wish I had my life together like that. I wish I always knew the next right thing, and I could just step into that, and everything works out okay, and it's a great story. Jehoshaphat is like, he did I have no idea what to do next. So he did the only thing that made sense in that moment. He declared a fast, and he started praying. Folks, that is not a bad move in any battle. That's a pretty good idea, whatever it is you're facing, whatever circumstances uh, are surrounding you. Dan Riley said once that to prepare for tomorrow's fight, you begin by praying tonight. That's good. I want you to look at Jehoshaphat's prayer in verse 6. He said, O Lord... God of our fathers, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. What a prayer. In the middle of his situation, he begins by acknowledging, God, you're the ruler over all this, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. This is a bad day. Things don't look good. But I've just got to testify. I've just got to say, God, I believe you're over everything. In verse 7, he says, Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He says, Let me go back because I think I've got this right. Let me look. And he just does this quick history lesson. And he reminds God and everybody else around him of God's promises. And if I remember right, Lord, you said, and it's not in a manipulative way, it's not to exploit this relationship and to kind of hold this up to God and say, you've got to do whatever I need you to do because you said this. It, it's not like that. You know what? It is like a reminder. God, I understand that you're there. And I may not can see you. I may not even can sense your presence. Sometimes... I mention to the Lord scriptures and promises he's given me. Sometimes I remind people around me, I remind God of his faithfulness. There are times I even take the scriptures and I just pray those back out loud to the Lord. And I I will just put in my circumstance or my name right there in it. And I say, God, if this is true and I understand scripture and the intent you had for leaving the Bible behind for us like you did, then I'm going to believe this is very personal for me. That it's not just a pretty book. It's not just to be used on special occasions or to put, put on the coffee table like we used to do when we were kids. My family never went to church, but we had this huge white Bible on the coffee table. And the thing I loved about it is that you could move it like this, and there's one of these, you know what I'm talking about? I'm really dating myself. It's like a, not a hologram, but those things where you move it, and he's looking this way, and then he looks this way. That was so cool. I thought that was a high-tech Bible. Uh, and that was my exposure. That was, that was what it meant. We didn't actually open it or read it. I mean, we had newspapers and magazines, and we had cookbooks and other things. To, you know, the Bible is such a, 
such a beautiful place for you to go and say, God, if I understand this right, and I'm not going to manipulate your word, I'm not going to try to make it say things it doesn't say, but I believe it's for me and I believe it's very personal. In verse 8 and 9, it said, For they've lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes to us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, I love this part. We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and you will save us. It's one thing to be confident when we're sitting in this room and we're pretty comfortable and things are going okay. It's another when you're surrounded by your enemies to say, God, I believed it yesterday when it was Sunday and I believe it today when it's Monday. Regardless of how things went, Jehoshaphat affirmed his reliance on God alone. and He risked everything on that. This wasn't just a personal issue with him. All these people were depending on him being right. But he knew he had nowhere else to turn. One of my favorite people in church history has to be Hudson Taylor, who is a, a great missionary to China. And he said this, and I just think it's so good. I had to put it up here for you. I have failed. I am failing. I will fail. But Jesus never fails. You ought to write that down. I have failed. I'm failing. I will fail. I know how vulnerable I am. I know how weak my attempts are. But I've got Jesus, and Jesus never fails. He lives for you. And the thing I really want you to, to walk away with today is, is this understanding that it's not just for Jehoshaphat. Sometimes we read about these people in the Bible and then we restrict them to Scripture and it just becomes this book of stories. You understand? You know, and it's like, oh, that, yeah, but that's a Bible character. Well, of course he did that for them, but that's a Bible character. He doesn't, what about me? God loves you. And he works in your life and on your behalf in the same way that he loved Jehoshaphat. And he will be as faithful to you as he was to him. Let's look at verse 10. But now, he goes through this and he goes, However, <laughs> on the other hand, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us? By coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Jehoshaphat is, I love this guy because he's just so honest. He doesn't just pray things like, oh, thou God, and you know, and and inside, he's like, oh, that was so fake because I'm scared to death and I don't really know what's going to go. I mean, he just, he just, he's so frustrated and he's so scared and he's a little mad. I mean, why would he say that to the Lord? Yeah, we had a chance to overcome them, but you said no, so we did what you said and now they're back. Should have gone with my idea. You ever done that to the Lord? What I wanted to do, but no. You know, he's doing a little bit of that, but look at verse 12. He said, oh, our God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army who's attacking us. Here's my favorite line in this entire story, in this passage. 
We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're powerless, we're scared, we're outnumbered, we're broke, we're sick. We don't know what to do. We can't come up with a plan. So we're just looking at you, Jesus. We've just got our eyes on you. I think that's a great summary of the situation, and it's a great way to pull him in and to involve him. I'm going to ask a couple of people I know well because they won't be too mad at me to kind of help me out to, so you can figure this out. I'm going to ask Stephen and Rebecca, if you would, just step up here and just real quickly. And I, I know you're going to be so happy with me today for, for doing this with you. Um, these are some friends of mine. Um, and um, what I've got here, this is like a couple of rocks. I'm going to give each of you two of these. And I just want you to look at them for a second. And you kind of hold them. They kind of feel good in your hand. I got these from these rocks. We're doing these commemorative rocks if you're a guest. And what we're doing is we're all writing like a little word of praise or promise or thankfulness on it. And we're going we're gonna to do like a little sculpture, kind of a walkway thing in this, this um, courtyard area out here this year as part of our 100-year celebration. Those are just kind of a couple of rocks. How do those feel? They feel pretty good. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, these are great rocks. Now, here's what I want you to do. And I know you've got to trust me with this, and you can be mad at me later because it's really just us. There's a few people in the room, but I don't want you to be real embarrassed. I want you to take, take one of those rocks. They've each got two. And just put them in your shoes. Just, just put those, yeah, just slip your shoe off and just put those rocks in the shoe. I hope you've got, like, your best socks on and everything. Okay. Stephen and Rebecca will be getting married June 25th, and it's time that they had life experiences together, and I feel like that's what today is all about. <laughs> okay, you can try to put your feet in there, and just, how does that, how does that feel? How does that feel? You're not going to put your feet... She's always a rebellious child. Um, Thank you. Okay, does that feel... You know, do you think, honestly, having those in there, if you were to walk around all day or all week, would you ever get used to having those rocks in your shoes? No. You know, and here's the thing about it. Since you've got an extra rock, I'll just hold it up. Thank you guys can be seated. That was, you're so talented. Um, Most of us, we are content to hold God at comfortable places in our life. Someone said, do you have Jesus in your life? Oh, yeah, I've got him right here. I've got him right here. He says, you know what? I want to come into those places where maybe I've not been. Places wouldn't be comfortable. And this would be really uncomfortable to walk around in your shoe. You'd never get used to it. Listen, you will never get used to God coming into your life. His presence makes such a difference that you won't just go along and think, is God in your life? Yeah, I think so. And I talk to people like that all the time. Hey, do you have Jesus into your life? Do you have that resource? Yeah, I think he's there. You know, like a little something. If, if that's it, and whatever battle you're facing, and whatever fear you're experiencing today, if you kind of think maybe he's there, well, it's going to be tough to say, but I don't think he's there. He's not there in the way he wants to be, because when his presence is there, when he makes himself manifest, you're, you're always going to know it. And sometimes it's going to be a little uncomfortable. But he's going to do amazing things in and through your life just with his presence. That's where change happens. Job was one of the great guys of the Bible. And in chapter 31 of his book, in verse 35, he said, I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. You know what that means? Literally, he says, I sign my signature or my tall, which is like a Hebrew 
uh, word for a mark. A lot of people couldn't write. Most people couldn't read and write, but they could make a mark, and they would make a mark like an X, which is reminiscent to me of the cross. It says, I make my mark. And once I make that on a legal document, it's, it's my testimony. It's like I've given a blank contract to God. I've given a check that hasn't been filled in yet and say, God, I'm going to go ahead and sign it. You fill it out. Whatever you want in my life, I'm just going to have to trust you. I'm giving you power of attorney. I'm giving you legal, spiritual, moral authority in my life. And it doesn't always make sense. And I don't know what you're going to write down there, but I've already signed my mark. That's what Job said. God, even before I get into it, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to trust you and follow you. Paul said something similar in 1 Corinthians 2, too. He said, I have resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You've got to love that. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I know? I know Jesus. <laughs> and I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I know that I go to bed tonight and that Jesus is with me. And he's not going to go anywhere. He's going to stay with me. That's faith's bottom line. You see, there's this thing in me, there's this thing in you, there's this tendency to say, Lord, before I commit, before I sign my mark, tell me what you're going to do. And all of a sudden, heaven gets silent. Oh, you're trying to decide if you're going to follow me or not based on what I do next. Because we've already learned he'll do some things sometimes we don't like. Some things that make us uncomfortable. Some things that push us into another place in life. We think, God, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to break up with them. I don't want to take that job. I don't want to stay in this job. I don't want to, you know, and we know God's maybe going to tell us something that it's not our preference. He says, go ahead and make your mark first. Jehoshaphat could have uh, said, if only I'd have done this. And we get trapped in that. You know, if we'd have just wiped out those neighbors years ago, we wouldn't be in this place today. And God said no, so we walked right past them. Don't do that to yourself. You can do that all day. I mean, you just, whatever situation you're in, here's the deal. You're in it. Okay? You can't go back. You can't undo anything. Uh, but you can go forward. You can go on, and you can go there with the Lord question is, in the midst of that, what is it that you usually rely on when you're in trouble? That's become your habit, probably since you were a little girl, since you were a high school guy. I mean, you, you've, you've said, oh, this is, this is what gets me out of jams. This is, what I, this, this is what I do. David counted people, because in his mind, large numbers you know, I've got a lot of people around me. That feels pretty secure, and, and that made him feel safe. And I agree, you know, being in a big group of like-minded friends or a large church or a denomination or a political organization or a company, uh, I mean, it's easy to rely on those things for security. It's just not there. It's just not there. Or you may have developed a, a pattern of overcoming your enemies just with your forcefulness because you can just out-talk people or you've got some high-pressure ta- tactics that you can employ, or you're really good at nagging or whining, <laughs> but I don't know, you know and, and eventually you get your way that way, and so it kind of works out, and so you, you begin to move there. Listen, not this time. 
Don't do that this time. Don't trust all your stuff and don't go running home to mom and daddy this time. You know, God wants you to trust him. God wants you to rely on him and to grow in your reliance just on the Lord alone to save you. It's going to do more for your faith, more for your confidence in him, more for your security than anything else. Jeremiah 2.13 is this great little verse and it says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He says, not only do you not come to me, but you try to figure it out, and your answers aren't good enough. Sometimes we rely on treaties, alliances, or deals that we've made in the past, and compromises, Uh, but our contract says... But the warranty states, you know, and we, we just try to go all legal on people. And we think, well, but we're in this thing. You know, Jehoshaphat had tried to do that. He had an agreement with Aram to defeat uh, Basha, the king of Israel. And later, even arranged a marriage between his son and Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. How would you like to have them for in-laws, by the way? Uh, and they thought that that'll smooth everything out and we'll never go to war because we're family now. We're all in this together. It was doomed to failure. It didn't work. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range, roam, they move all throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You've done a foolish thing and from now on you'll be at war. Or maybe you're like a lot of other people and your go-to position, your fallback plan is your friends. You get on the phone. You get on Facebook. You get on Twitter. You know, and you, you go to your neighbors or your relatives and you just know they're going to surround you and your loved ones. And don't get me wrong. It's really good to have a support system. I think it's absolutely essential, as a matter of fact, to have people around you who care about you, family and friends and, and church members and community group people. I mean... Uh, but there's going to come a time when it's just you and Jesus. There's going to come a time when as much as people can be there, they'll be there, but it's just, it's all you, and it's just all the Lord. It'll come down to that. So before you look around and before you start gathering your team of people who agree with you and, you know, and, and, and do that, uh, just be aware that there are times they can confuse you or disagree with you or or not be there, or even lead you in the wrong way. Just go to the Lord. Isaiah said this in 41.10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He said, I will do that. I will do that. Now back to the story. After the prayer, Jahaziel, who is a preacher, uh, and I love it when preachers are heroes in stories, he... um, He prophesies and he encourages the people. In verse 15, he says this, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle's not yours, it is the Lord's. This is God's battle. Now, sometimes there are people behind the lines of your battle who... Uh, or calling out to you how bad the situation is. Don't you love those people where you know you're in a tough place? This is really bad. And they're going, 
yeah, man, you're really messed up because this is really bad. I'm just so glad I'm not you, dude. You know, and you just think, I, I don't need you right now discouraging me. Be careful of who you surround yourself uh, with. There's a great ministry, I think, that's needed for us to just encourage each other. Just encourage each other. It was said that General Patton would always ride in the lead tank with the hatch open and his head sticking out, waving and calling out to his men. General Lee would stay up all night before a battle, and he would go from campfire to campfire to campfire talking to his men. It was said that Napoleon would lead his troops into battle on horseback, and that he would always remain very visible, and that his effect was so profound on his enemies that one of his enemies once remarked, having Napoleon on the battlefield is equal to 40,000 men. Jahaziel means Jehovah reveals. Be that person. Have those people in your life whose purpose it is is just to convince you God's not going to forsake you. He's going to fight for you. He's here with us. And in the midst of that, know this. God doesn't tolerate sin very well. He's not real flexible about that. So if you want his presence, and you want, there's not going to be room for your sin, your preferences, and all your stuff, and the Holy Spirit. So you need to decide which one you want in the midst of those things with you. Now, Jahazil, he encourages first, and then he instructs. And I think that's a lesson for us. As parents, as employers, uh, if you're a manager or a boss, encourage first and then instruct. He encouraged, then he instructed. In verse 16, he said, Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass, pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the battle of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Stop being so scared. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Can you imagine the night before that battle? Okay, sounds like a plan. That's great. Everybody get some sleep. (laughs) Whatever. But the message is plain. Confront the situation head on. Don't hide from it. Don't just hope it'll go away. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't ignore it. Face your problem. I don't know what you're scared of today. I don't know what your battles are. But be ready to meet them eyeball to eyeball. And see, God, how are you going to fight this battle? Some folks are wired. They don't want any confrontation. And you will go around the block. You will go every, do whatever you can. You just don't want to confront. And I understand that. It's uncomfortable. Some people are just the opposite. They love a good fight. They would jump into the fray at the drop of a hat. At a moment's notice. A fight, yeah. And they're just contentious and just like to argue. Well, don't run and don't pick a fight. There's this middle place. It, it's, it, it's just God's place. It's his battle. Well, the next morning, everybody got up early. I, I bet there wasn't a lot of sleeping that night. They're ready to go to confront these armies. And here's what it says as this story winds down in verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said to them, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing. Now, this is where his plan begins to go. <laughs> you think, okay, what are you going to do next? I need some singers. 
and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I love that. They get this together and go, okay, what's our plan? Okay, I need Kevin, the worship singers, and the band to go out in front. We'll be back here. It would look kind of like this. Andy, would you come up here for just a second for me? And Scott Fessler, would you come up here just real quickly? This is what this would have looked like. This is kind of the way that worked out. We would have said, okay, here are these armies. And, um, and here's Judah. So I, I know you're a guitarist. Maybe you're not real comfortable with drumsticks, but this is all we've got. So I want you to think of the best Chris Tomlin song you know. And we can only do this illustration one time. And I need somebody here who's trained in emergency medical procedures. You're going to take him on in battle. He's about nine feet tall, and he's got this sword. And, and you're just going to sing your best worship song and just do him in battle. How do you feel about that? I don't want to. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. Thank you, guys. But this is the way it looks, right? And doesn't that the way your battles look sometimes? And that's the way it feels to me. And you know what, brother? I say the same thing to the Lord. Lord, I don't want to do this. You ever have those prayers? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done this. Jesus, I believe... I'm premillennial. I believe you're coming back any moment. Why don't you come back now? <laughs> and you ever prayed that? As the, as the papers are being handed out, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, Krios, Jesus. <laughs> All the prophecy, come Jesus. You know, and then we feel like that sometimes in our battles. Listen, I know this doesn't sound like it's a plan that would make a lot of sense. But an amazing thing happened. Judah lined up against all her enemies. And verse 22 says this. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. You see, it wasn't like shirts and skins or the red team and the blue team. I mean, everybody's mixed up. They can't tell who's who. They began to fight each other. And then the battle just goes on and it gets so confusing, they all kill each other. They self-destruct. And they do this after, not before the singers start praising God. The singers didn't see the battle, you know, won and go... Okay, boys, hit it, and let's sing now. No, they did it before. And you need to go home this afternoon. You need to go home tonight and find a private, quiet place. For me, it's oftentimes inside my car. I sound really good there. It's sometimes in my basement or out in other places where I can just sing to the Lord. And I'll put my headphones on, and I'll get a a CD. I know the words. And boy, I'll just sing along, and I'll just pray. Praise God now. Praising before those things, before and all through the battle. Worship him in spite of whatever it is that's going on around you. It's going to change your viewpoint. It's going to keep you focused on what's true. It's going to make a difference in your life, and, and you're going to get through this battle. I don't say that lightly, and, and I know, Dan, you don't know what I'm sick with, and you don't know this, you don't know what I'm hurting from, and you don't know how this is playing out in my life. I know I don't know. And their relationship battles and their physical battles. And 
emotional. And I mean, there's just all kinds of things going on. But I know that God's with you. And I know he wants to fight this battle for you. Let's do this. Because you're going to go through it anyway, right? You might as well go through it with the Lord. I used to coach Little League for years for my boys, and I just, I loved doing that. Now I'm kind of a star baseball, softball player for Calvary Baptist. Um, but one Saturday, we had, been, we had been getting beat pretty good for several Saturdays in a row, and um, Aaron was a pitcher uh, on this team, and we had a great day. We played a tough team, and we beat them. And I'll never forget pulling off those little league fields uh, onto North Shore and driving toward our house. And it's just quiet for a second. And Aaron just out of nowhere said this, and I've remembered it all these years. He said, mostly, I just like playing the game. But winning is better than losing. <laughs> I said, amen. You know, I just like living my life. And I like knowing the Lord. We're going to have battles. Winning those battles is better than losing those battles. You need the Lord. You need the Lord. Let's do this. Let's take just this little time that we've got left together and let's give our battles to him. And maybe you want to use these steps to say, God, this is the thing that's scaring me so much. I don't know what to do next. I'm just like Jehoshaphat. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. Lord, my eyes are on me. You just, just remind the Lord, God, I believe this is what you've promised me, and I believe you're with me, and I'm just going to testify to that. I'm going to affirm that today and just tell you my eyes are on you. And if you want to come pray here, if you want to pray over somebody, if you want to be an encourager like Jezreel, you know, if you want to go to someone and say, can I just pray over you a word of encouragement, a word of confidence that God's with you in your battle. We minister to each other like that. Would you stand, please, and let's pray. Father, I want to thank you uh, for the fact that you're with us in our battles, that you never forsake us. And I know you're with us just like you were with Jehoshaphat. This is not a different time or a different place where you worked then, now you don't. Um, and, and Father, there are many people in this room, many folks who can hear my voice right now who are going through battles. And they're not sure what to do. And they're scared. And we don't feel like we've got the resources or the answers that are adequate to face the next thing. We need you. And Father, we're just going to affirm together today that we believe you are in control of our lives. And we invite your presence in as uncomfortable as it is sometimes. And we invite you into our lives no matter how big our enemies seem in front of us. And we're just going to worship you and we're going to trust you and we're going to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And we're going to begin that right now. To his glory and for our victory.